Hello everyone and welcome to episode 176 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. I'm Rugby Reg and we have a hell of a show for you this week. We will be getting into the nitty gritty of the latest round of Super Rugby a little later in the show with Sully and Steve, which means I won't be able to mention the Red sensational victory for another 30 minutes or so. But it'll be worth it because on the show today we have the next in our series of Rugby World Cup Champions. Tonight we have the man who started it all. When you think of the Wallaby Rugby World Cup wins, it's the iconic vision of this man receiving the William Webb Ellis Cup from the Queen back in 1991, turning around, holding that cup aloft and just saying, wow, that most often comes to mind. So it's my great pleasure to welcome tonight Wallaby legend, Rugby World Cup winning captain, Nick Farr-Jones. Thanks so much for joining us, Nick. Pleasure, Rich. Mate, we want to start uh, looking back at your successful event in 91, but let's go back four years before that to 1987, which was the inaugural World Cup. We co-hosted with New Zealand. Uh, what's your memories from that? Uh, it must have been a fairly frustrating event from performance and wise, but also, uh, you know, you had a bit of injury and whatnot. Yeah, no, it was it was frustrating. It's not a great memory. We 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 should have probably won the Bledisloe Cup in New Zealand 3-0. Um, which would have been quite historic. We we lost thirteen twelve in Dunedin, and and we um, you don't want to harp back a long time ago, but we we thought we scored a legitimate try with a few minutes to go. Steve Lineman collapsed Simon, over the line, and yeah, no, sure, ball underneath him. We couldn't work it out. It wasn't a try, but but anyway, we ended up winning a Bledisloe, and and we're we're a very very strong team, the best team in the world in that sort of uh, period of the mid eighties, and. So I think it's it's fair enough to say we started the World Cup as as probably the favourites to win it, um, but it wasn't a happy experience for us. We we didn't really buy it. Well, I certainly didn't really enjoy it. Um, New Zealand did amazing things. I mean, I think it was the defining moment for them, the loss in '86. That you know they'd just been on the Cavaliers tour to South Africa, the non-sanctioned tour. Um, they had a lot of old guys who stayed around for that, but the loss in '86, I think, um, you know, sort of drew a line in the sand for. New Zealand rugby, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of new guys came in and, and they became superstars of New Zealand rugby. And, you know, they sort of transformed the way they played. And, you know, 87 was New Zealand first, daylight second. We got beaten by a very good French team. Um, you know, it was, I think the lead changed five or six times in the second half. Um, but look, we, we just didn't have a good experience. I, I think hosting it was tough. Um, we were told by, by our coach, Alan Jones, we couldn't go to work. Um, whilst he was at work, um, it, it was just, you know, we trained in the afternoon. It's always good when you're on tour or together to get, you know, training done early and, and rather than sitting around, you know, twiddling your thumbs, what are we going to do? It, it just wasn't a happy team. We weren't, you know, we, um, you know, we just, I don't know, Reg, it, it just wasn't a good memory. And, and, um, you know, look, it's everyone's fault. We, we, we all have to put our hand up and say 87 was a disastrous year for us. For many reasons, but but I loved the game um, for the happy experiences, and that just wasn't a happy one. And, and despite the performances, could you get a sense of what the World Cup might become? I mean, it must have been strange back then. This the new event it had this title, this grand title, the World Cup. Did you have any you know feelings that it? No, might not get... not really, not really particularly. You know, being in Sydney and um, and yep. then going to Rotorua for, for a third, <laughs> yep. fourth playoff, and you, you got to remember Reg back then, and when you you look at trying to get a ticket for England, Australia this year on the yeah. 3rd of October and it's 10 times oversubscribed. Yeah. Think back to the inaugural World Cup in 87. We played a, a wonderful game against a magnificent French team. Um, and and in, a, in an unloved in a Western Sydney ground called Concord Oval, I, I think it had a capacity of about 23,000 people. Yeah. I think at that semi-final, about 18,000 turned up. Yeah, right. So, no, you, you had no idea of what it could become. I mean, I, I always take my hat off to Nick Shahady. I think he was the the the, the you know the father of, of of World Cup rugby. He was experiencing the pressures of um, professionalism coming into the game and trying to poach players. And it really was Shahady and his counterpart in New Zealand that took on the Northern Hemisphere, got the support of the French and the South Africans, and 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 took on the the, the Northern Hemisphere. You know, the the, the staid way of the Northern Hemisphere, and he was the one that won. The, the 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 vote to 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 have the inaugural World Cup and you know, there were multiple challenges but but what it's become you know we're, we're looking forward to the eighth event shortly but what it's become and the way it's grown is is phenomenal and at the end of the day it now funds 
you know, community rugby and, and development of the game, you know, across the world and, and you know, the, what it now produces as far as revenue. But in 87, no, had no idea. And that's why when we finally got there four years later in 91, we were gobsmacked about how much support we were getting, the television ratings, the faxes we received, the welcome we got home at the end of it. I mean, because 87 gave you no clue about what it could become, you know, even four years later. Yeah. Well, let's move forward. To that four years later, we want to focus on the positives and and that march towards '91. And I want to look at that that lead into the Rugby World Cup because it was a special season for Australia. And rugby, I guess, to take it further for New South Wales rugby, had an, an undefeated season themselves. Um, but the Test series uh, against Wales, you played Wales and then England, and then a couple of games with New Zealand. If we could pick out that England game in particular, um, which was a remarkable performance by the Wallabies. And, and one of the standouts from mine was uh, the scrum work and the set-piece work and, in fact, the back row. And I, I don't think I can recall uh, more precise back row moves than were played that day. As a halfback, you loved his running game and, and his combination with the back row. You must have enjoyed that experience as well. Oh, Reggie, it was, it was great. I mean, we had that big victory against the Welsh, as you yep. say. And I think 40-15 was the final score against England. It was a, it was a special day for me, mate. I, we, we were preparing down in Wollongong, and on the Wednesday, our Wednesday evening, I got the phone call um, from my wife saying the waters had burst. And oh, <laughs> so I said to Bob Dwyer, <laughs> "I said to Bob Dwyer, I'm out of here. Um, I don't know when I'll be back, but, but you know my daughter Jessie, yep. and she's nearly 24, but she was born on the Thursday morning before that test, and." I think I got back down to camp on the Friday. I think it's the only time I've, I've had alcohol the night before a test. We, we drank some champagne. Um, but it was a special day, as you say. Um, you know, you look at those tries that we scored and the execution of that. I mean, Tim Gavin was a magnificent yep. number eight. I think my biggest regret in that 91 World Cup was that we lost him a, a couple of weeks before he we went to an injury. You know, Gav is a fantastic guy. He's the president of... of uh, sorry, he was the president of... of uh, New South Wales and Waratahs rugby. He'll become the president of Australian rugby uh, in the not too distant future. Magnificent guy, just a great guy to play with. But there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in preparing and 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 you know, off, you know on the tr- the training paddock to to be able to execute the way we did on the field. And you know, um, they work like clockwork. You know, some of them involved Timmy Horan standing on the right side. Um, some a bit closer was just you know Gav, myself, Campo. Um, mm. But but they work like clockwork and. For the life of me, you know, I don't want to be critical of modern rugby, um, and I know we old guys are dinosaurs, but I have no idea why people still don't train, you know, prepare, do those sort of moves, you know, create space, um, you know, just... I hardly ever see a good background move these days, and it drives me to drink, Rich. Absolutely, and ironically, I think the closest I've seen for a while was one uh, that Lockie Turner scored uh, on Friday night versus the Rebels with something to play with uh, uh, with um, Willie Genier at the back of the scrum there. But let's keep going forward. And it's, You had an interesting couple of tests. You continued on that uh, very clinical performance that you did versus England in the next test in Sydney versus the All Blacks. And then you lost to them in Auckland in, in wet conditions. And I know that test in particular you know, was a disappointment for you, but also almost a, a catalyst for you guys? Without doubt, mate. It was probably you know, one of the most important losses we had. Um, we should have won the Bledisloe. Bledisloe's, you know, don't come. I played 20 tests against the All Blacks. Um, I only won a few Bledisloe's. Um, I, I, I nearly sort of had 50-50 on winning them, but sometimes they retained it like they did that year. We won the first test, I think, by mm. about 12 points in Sydney. You know, the day Edgerton plucked the ball out of Kerwin's yep. hands at the SFS. Um, we went to, to win the Bledisloe. We lost 6-3. Um, you know, it was just one of those terrible games. Both teams didn't play well. But they retained the Bledisloe, you know, because there was only two tests. Yes, of course, we'd meet them later the year in the, in the, in the semi-finals, it turned out. But that didn't count for the Bledisloe. So, you know, they're, they're important trophies to, to, to have on your, on your CV and, um, and what have you. So, yeah, but, but I'll never forget, Reg, we had the aftermatch function at, um, I, think it was the trotting or the racetrack in Auckland. Um, we just gathered. You, you always have what we call a happy hour. It wasn't very happy that uh, that afternoon. But we gathered and we basically eyeballed each other and said, um, you know, we were so pissed off um, that it was the loss that we had to have. We said, look, guys, there's a reasonable chance we might meet these guys in a few months' time. Let's never forget the disappointment of this loss at Eden Park. Yeah. 
wonderful stuff and, and it would come back and we'll, we'll talk about what would develop soon. But I want to step back and you mentioned Timmy Gavin and, and he was, a, as you say, a remarkable player and I don't think he ever played a, a bad test for Australia. And he was injured in that, that Sydney test versus New Zealand and it let us. It took us a while to really... But he wasn't, he wasn't injured in that game. He oh, actually he? got injured in a club game. Oh, um, right, Bruce. okay. Yeah, no, he wasn't injured in that game. It was, it was literally a week before we were due to jump on the plane yeah. and go to the World Cup and he was playing for his club. Yeah, okay. Um, well, it still leads to the point that that number eight position then became somewhat uncertain and, and the World Cup would start and we'd play Eels there and we played Willie O there before finally settling on, on Troy Coker. Were you concerned? I mean, the, the team was really very settled, you know, that year with that one position, albeit a pretty mm. critical position. How concerned were you about finding the right combination, the right man to play that eight role? Oh, look, the back row was, was critical. And, and at the end of the day, um, I, I haven't said this publicly often, but, but my wife was there with our little daughter, Jess, who'd just been born, obviously. And um, when I say there, she was in Dublin. Um, I, I came back from a 1990 tour of, um, of New Zealand and, and said to the Australian Rugby Union, I don't believe the captain should have a vote anymore. Um, and that was sort of basically you know, set in concrete after that. I, I just, I, I wasn't, comfortable with it I wasn't happy about it so I didn't have a vote technically we had um, three selectors I think John Connolly I think Rod McQueen and Bob right. Bob Dwyer yep. but generally they would consult me as to you know what do you think but I was out with Ange and, and my daughter just walking and I didn't realize the guys were picking a team but I came back after we had that great escape against Ireland where our forwards were bloody mm. terrible and you know people came cr- crushing through the line out and, and what have you and I found out that they they dropped Jeff Miller, and mm. and 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 that was shattering to me. Jeff Jeff was a magnificent player; he's a great friend. You know, he'd sacrificed enormously to be part of that team. Um, and and they brought in Troy Coker at, at number eight because Bob and the selectors were really worried about the height advantage that the Kiwis had in the semi final. And you know, I, had I been there, I would have I would have encouraged them to stick with Jeff. Um, you know, I, I, I I'm a person, you know, a people person, and I know what people can deliver. Uh, look, Troy played well against New Zealand. wasn't so good in the final. Um, you know, we, we didn't win much possession. But but at the end of the day, um, I, I would have tried to persuade them to, to stick with Poitivan, uh, Offian, Galway, and, um, and 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 Miller, um, because you know, to me, it's about people that you go out there with, and you can you know, you can put your hand on your heart and say, so, you know, but 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 Bob was really really worried about the height that the yeah, Kiwis right. had at the back of that lineup. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Another element of this this World Cup that's often overlooked, and I guess it's because we we ended up winning the thing. Still, is the the injury you suffered, and I think it was in the Samoa game first, and then you missed the next game, and then came back for Zaire. No, no, it was Samoa, mate. It was my fiftieth yeah. test. It was a terrible day. I think Potty yeah. Cooler. Yeah, no, it was knee and ankle, but I, I thought it was all over for me. I, I was absolutely sure, but we we had an absolute. Um, Maestro of a physio who was with us with the Wallabies for about 15 years, great mate of mine, a guy called Greg Craig. Yep. As I came off the field, um, Craig, he sort of, you know, felt the knee, felt the ankle, said, "Look, if we work our butts off, I can get you back on the field in two weeks." And nice. basically, we we started then icing it straight away. Um, I was in the pool the next day in a Cardiff pool, you know, because obviously you take all the weight off it, and we just had a program that we worked. I probably work Reg 14 hours a day, um, which includes all the, the icing, all the the, the work, um, all of the physio treatment, you know, putting the, the equipment on it, and and Craigie, to his word, got me back for the um, for the quarterfinal. Yeah, was it the same? Because he did play that island game, and and in one of those lineups, you talk about the the forwards flying through. Was it the? I assume it was the same knee that you did then. Just a... it was. It was. It was jarred that time. One of the yeah, guys, right. the Irishman, came through. I think it was twenty minutes into the game. Yeah, and I just thought that that's it again. Yeah, right. Um, and and so I was replaced. You know, again, I look back at that. I couldn't believe. You know, with four minutes to go, we went behind. It's that day, Reg. I think I, I decided I could never coach a team when you can't actually have a. <laughs> An imprimatur on the field at the time. You can do nothing, you know, sitting in the stands. I, you know, I, I really did decide that I couldn't do this. It was too unbearable. I mean, had we lost that day, we're on a plane home the next day and um, I would have retired and there would have been, of course, significantly unfinished business. 
that that history tells us we got out of jail and we went on to to play um, the semi in the final. Well, just tell us about it a bit. We had Michael Liner on last week, and he he talked us through that sort of the last eight five five to eight minutes on the field. You're obviously on mm. the sideline. What were your feelings? Did you have? I mean, he had this. You know, assured confidence that the team could still do it and all. Oh, what, look, what of course you? I didn't, Reg. I, yeah. I thought that's it. We're done. You know, yeah. we're, this is this is some sort of fate and what have you. But it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know how we got behind. I mean, mm. you know, and, and what have you. And I'm not saying it would have been any different had I been on the field, but I just don't know how we got behind. But I have no doubt with that four minutes to go, um, had I been captain, I probably would have kicked short. I would have yeah, thought we, we okay. need yeah. to have possession. Yep. Um, and and I probably would have instructed, you know, Marty to kick short. Noddy said, how long to go to the ref? You know, he gave him the four minutes. Michael said to the guys, we're going to kick along. They're going to kick out. We'll win the line out. Don't lose possession. Um, we'll score the try, and it, it's, it's what happens. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we concentrated a lot. We, we transformed the culture of the team from a very inconsistent team in 88 and 89 when I was, you know, first two years of captaining it, Hugely inconsistent when you look at the performance of our team in the three-test series against the All Blacks in 88, the three tests against the Lions in 89, the two tests we played in France at the end of 89. We 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 actually, and Michael and I were part of this with, with the great Bob Temple and Bob Dwyer. We went away for the weekend to try and work out how we could be so damn inconsistent. And we actually came up with it. The problem was we were too desperate to win sometimes. We were too what yeah, we okay. called scoreboard focused. We had yeah. to change the... The culture of the team, what we call process-driven. I, I won't drive your listeners nuts and what that is, but it's what you do individually, your role in the team. You know, you, we know the game's very inclusive. There's different positions, different roles. Minimise the errors. Trust the guys around you to do their job. At the end of the 80 minutes, as difficult as it might be when you're playing a World Cup final, but then look up and see what the scoreboard tells you. Um, and when I think back to what Michael did in that last four minutes, it's exactly what the process was. Right, yeah. You know, he talked to the guys about it. He talked them through it. We're going to kick long. They're going to kick out. We're going to win the ball. You know, do not surrender the ball. And it's exactly what happened. The, the, you know, the ball was, sorry, the ruck was created in the middle of the ground. And then it went right and, and, um, and Noddy scored the try. Yeah, wonderful. Um uh, look, another aspect of this squad, and it sort of harks back to your injury, was that depth. Um, and it's important for the squad selection in, in terms of you never know when that other player's got to get a chance or if they will. And, and I guess Peter Slattery um, ended up playing a fairly you know important role in this test, uh, in this series. Yeah, no, well, so he, he, played, he played against the Welsh, um, you know, in the third test, and we, yep. we had a very good victory there. And, of course, he played 60 minutes against the Irish, yeah. Yeah, so that, that you know, those guys can sit along and not have any factor, but all of a sudden called in and, and have to fulfil that role too? That's no, critical. I mean, back in my day, Reg, in 91, you had to have a, had a medically verified injury to get replaced. Yep. We know it's hugely different now. And so the depth is, is critical. And, 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 you know, Michael Checker understands that and he's focusing on it. Yeah, great. Um, look, we're going to move forward uh, to the next test, that New Zealand test. And, and one of the things that I, I caught sort of researching going back on this one was you know you've also had a great combo with with Noddy Liner there but one of the other ones is your combination with with Campo and um the stat I picked up from this is that you know you, you threw the pass from for that try in that game in at that time he'd scored 46 tries and you had thrown that last pass or kicked through to him 17 times it's about 38 percent of the it's an amazing combination between a scrum half and a winger. What do you put that yeah. combo down to, with, you know, with Campo? Oh, Reg, you know, I understood Campo very well. I, I think I was a critical part. I would actually say that one of the most important things I did as a captain was was bringing Campo under the wing, you right. know, and you know, because he was a he was a loner. He, he was different. Um, you know, he was never going to die wondering. He's a good big tackles. He, he 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 didn't he didn't naturally get on with people. He always set up the front of the bus. Um, I think seriously, one of the greatest things I had was just to bring him into the fold. Yep. You know, it's it's not well known, but when we turned up at the World Cup in '91, you know, the first three or four days of training, I came obvious to me that Campo and, and and Michael weren't talking. Oh. You know, the two most experienced guys in our team, and yeah. and and I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? So I just said to the guys. I said, fellas, you know, we've got a whole bunch of young guys in this team. You know, we've got the, the horns and the littles in the back line. You know, we're doing these moves. You guys are obviously not communicating. I don't know what's going on. 
Um, but it's not going to go on for any longer. We're going to have a quick beer before dinner this night. It turned out that Campo had written a book, you know, a week or two, you know, before the World Cup. He, he got stuck in a knotty about his conservative style of play for Queensland. Uh-huh. And Michael's a very sensitive guy and rightly, you know, was upset about it. And so I said, look, guys, you're probably never going to be best of mates, but we have to coexist on this tour. We are the most experienced guys. We have to set the example. And, and so, you know, no, Campo was a, was a unique person and, you know, um, I understood that, and and, and uh, you know, we had to bring him into the into the fold. But you know, I suppose our combinations. I I knew when Campo needed the ball, yeah. and we had a good way of communicating. And and he knew that when he wanted the ball, um, I would get it to him, whether it was by a kick or a pass. And and that try, you, I think you're talking about in the yeah. first. The first try in New Zealand, um, he came off his right wing. He was running laterally. Bob Dwyer said, if anyone runs across field, you'll never play for my team. He just ran perfectly across field, ran fast four or five Kiwis who just thought, the next guy will get him, the next guy will get him, the next guy will get him. But I knew the Campo's call, and so I hit him with a lateral pass, you know, running right to left. Yeah, look, and, and that again was, you know, we talked about that earlier New Zealand loss. This was a, a fantastic performance. That first half was was full of attack and two glorious tries and, and everyone worked really well. And the second half was, uh, you know, really built on that resolute defence and a wonderful win. My question would be, after such a great performance and you're beating the old enemy in the Kiwis, what was the preparation like for England? Were you, you know... Were you just as cleared up for the grand final? Was it any sort oh, absolutely, of... Absolutely, Reg. I mean, yeah, we're, we're absolutely you know, on, on board, on, on track. I mean, it, it's hard to stay focused, particularly for the young guys, but we were, we, we knew the job in front of us at Twickenham. Um, we, we were, we, there was no complacency. We knew how hard they were going to be. I mean, the sad thing, you know, what is it, 20, 24 years later, um, we just didn't play that well. We, yeah. we defended bloody well, but we just, if you look at the stats, we only got about 37, 38% of possession. Um, we just didn't play well. Um, we defended wonderfully, but, but, you know, when you win a World Cup, I'm sure the Kiwis feel like this after their victory, you know, four years ago. Um, you love to, to win scoring four and five tries, you know. 50 metres out, multi-phase play, interchange between forwards and backs. We got one lousy try in that final. <laughs> a five-metre sort of rolling more from the English line, yeah. um, from a line-out. So, so that's the only regret. But people don't really remember scores. They, they remember who won. But I think the dangerous thing about the Kiwis looking forward to, you know, in a few months' time is that they will be not happy about the way they won the last one, albeit they'll be very relieved to have won the last one. Yeah, well, that's a great... Uh, uh, segue there, Nick, because I want to start looking at this year. Do you have hope for Australia, the Wallabies, this year? Oh, look, I think Checker might be able to pull a rabbit out of the hat. Um, I, Reg, I've always worried about our scrum. I mean, I was there in Marseille when it began and finished in the first scrum against the English when we were expected to win. And, you know, people can say, what does a halfback know about a scrum? Um, I don't understand the, you know, the. The, the technical aspects of it, but I do know because I've heard a million of them that if you're going backwards in the first one, you know, yep. who is Trump's? Yep. Um, it's a hard day. It's not just the time and space issue. It's the psychological advantage you get. Um, I, I think England and Wales are salivating at the prospect of getting us in the scrum again. I know Checkers brought this Argentinian guy down to help the Waratahs, but yep. whilst I haven't had a chance because I've been overseas to look at the last two Waratahs matches, I gather against the Force and the Sharks, our scrums got beaten up again. So, so whether this guy's going to be the solution, you know, Andrew Blades is a great, so I'm told, scrum technician, but he's now been moved on. You know, I was at Twickenham in, at the end of November last year when, again, our scrum was the Achilles heel. That's my major concern. Yeah, I, okay. I don't think you can win a World Cup without a scrum. And I'm not being critical of our guys. Uh, I just think we have to have more focus on that area. I've, I've been trying to tell Bill Pulver for a number of years that we need a scrum academy, you know, teaching mm. 16, 17, 18-year-old guys by people like Topo Rodriguez and Tom yep. Lawton and Andy McIntyre, you know, the way it works, the, the techniques and what have you. Um, the Northern Hemisphere salivate on these things. And, you know, some of your listeners will say, you know, wake up, uh, Jones, it's not about scrummaging. Well, I think it's a great thing about rugby. Um, that it's an inclusive game. The number one is just as critical as the as the number ten. Um, everyone's got to do their job, and that's where I my antenna vibrate, antenna vibrate nervously, Reg, about us even getting out of our pool. Yeah, yeah, understood. All right, well, let's look at uh, the position where you well and truly are qualified to judge on, and that's the the scrum half position. 
the most obvious question I always start with is, who would your Wallaby 9 be at the moment? Does Phipps keep the position? Again, I haven't got had the chance because I've been travelling a lot. Uh, I haven't had a chance to look at enough, but, but Phipps is doing wonderfully well. I mean, he plays a good style of play. Um, obviously, Genia and, 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 you know, Queensland bounce back, but he, you know, I've always said that, and Bob Dwyer was right, to win a World Cup, you need five guys in your team that, you know, automatically pick themselves in a World 15, yeah, and then right. five guys on the fringe of that team, and then five guys who are, you know, tried and proven players. Genia, for a number of years, was the best rugby half, scrum half in the world. Sadly, in the last couple of years, that's dropped away. I'm, I'm not sure why, um, whether he's lost some confidence and then his lateral vision and which you know means his judgment's not as good or you know whether it's you know i'm not sure what it is but but he's he's dropped off um we need him to bounce back to his best or we need someone to just rise to the occasion there's a young fella called nick sturzica who is now doing well at the rebels um you know i i i got i got on the the elevator north in 84 having played second division rugby in 83 i still think that young players can can all of a sudden burst onto the scene. And I think Sturzik has got all the qualities of a fantastic scrum half. He's got a great pass. He's got a good running game. He's, he's aggressive. Um, you know, he's, he's got a good judgment. He seems to me to have good lateral vision. Uh, I'm not saying he'll, he'll be the number one selection, but I think Checker should take him on tour. Yeah, interesting. Uh, just from a balance of squad perspective, um, I know in, uh, 211 New Zealand, we ended up taking the three scrum halves and, and, and Phipps in fact spent most of the time I don't think he played he might have played on the wing in one game mm. there's no point taking three you wouldn't have thought from a, a balanced perspective no look I'd, I'd, I'd take two and pick Giddo Giddo yeah okay All right. so Giddo could cover if there's an injury yeah alright look the final question Nick and, and, and another element that you're uh, exemplary qualified for and uh, given that you held the trophy aloft as captain in 91 is 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 the skipper, we've had, I think, five Wallaby captains over the last two years. Who do you think should be the Wallaby skipper this year? Oh, look, man, it, it really is hard from a distance. You know, I, 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 I'm not in the inner sanctums and, and I, I don't pretend to be and I, I don't want to be. Um, so it's very hard. From a distance, I like more. Um, you know, I think he's he is a very experienced, level-headed, good leader. Um you know, I think it's, you know, Hooper's done a good job. You know, it's more follow me, lead, by, you know, I'll lead by example. Yep. I, I don't know what he's like, you know, I, I would I, I would struggle to think he's a fantastic strategic captain as far as, you know, you know, getting the guys to, yeah, he's just a, he's just a leader by example. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm assuming Checker um, has great admiration for Dave Dennis and I think that he might even look for him as a, as a second row prospect and, you know, I think he likes his leadership. Um, so, you know, there, there are a couple of, mm. of, of names that... Um, but, but I think more would be, you know, your, your, your go-to person. Yep, yeah, OK. Look, your Nick, safe pair of hands. Yeah. Nick, that's it for the night. We just really want to say thanks for your time and your insights. They're wonderful to, to relive those great memories of 91 and, and to get some sort of idea on, on your thinking around uh, the Wallabies in 2015. You obviously held the cup in 91, and let's hope that uh, whether it be Moore or Hooper or even Dave Dennis is uh, doing the same come October 31 uh, this year. Good on you, Reg. Nice to talk to you, mate. Thanks, Nick. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Welcome back, everyone. Back we are, episode 176. Again, another very special thanks to Wallaby legend Nick Farr-Jones there for coming on the podcast. Tonight, he's really got a great rugby brain and his recollection of those great moments in 91. Oh, something that uh, gave us all a great treat there. And uh, it's interesting to see his thoughts on this year's team and here we are back to this year, and we'll go back to Super Rugby. Um, and I think it's pretty fair to say that this was probably the best round of Super Rugby all season. I don't think there'll be anyone doubting that statement. And, and I've actually got someone on board with me tonight who might help justify it with Shane Sully Sullivan. It's been a while we've had Sully. But, mate, can you confirm, and we'll get to the a bit more of this later, can you confirm one of the theories out there that the turnaround in the Reds' performance was the fact that you moved away from the sideline and into the media box this weekend? Is that correct? Uh, I can confirm that the food is a lot better in the media box than on the sideline. Um, 
we the family's putting it down to my granddaughter's first game oh, at the Reds game, so excellent. she has to be flying up from Sydney for every game from <laughs> now on. We will all chip in. Forget about raising funds for that big scrum monument. What other Queensland rugby are do, doing? We'll just fly your granddaughter up every game. Um, mm. Good to have you back on the show, Sully. It's been a while, and uh, uh, someone who it hasn't been a while. It's been oh, I was going to say it's been a week. Steve, but it hasn't been a week, has it? It's actually been two weeks for podcast listeners because the great lost show from last week. Brubby Jack, Steve, how are you, mate? I'm good. How are you guys? We are all good, as you know, for very good reason. Um, it's uh, the end of week 14, Super Rugby, and uh, the heavens has opened once again. We Queenslanders can uh, openly talk rugby again, at least for another week. So let's get just through before these... I can I just yes. cut in there and Go do on. I need to um. Do we need to stand for the national anthem of We Are Red for yes, a minute? Exactly. <laughs> if you just start hearing some uh, atmospheric drums in the background, it's just it's just how we do things up here in Queensland. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I might add, guys, that we did, um, uh, you know, Cyclopath was meant to be on the show and, and Braveheart was meant to be on the show and and Barbarian, they're all meant to be on the show, but they're all, they're all, they've all abandoned us like Waratah wingers of late, so... Um, <laughs> It's just us three, and it's 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 very un rugby Australian rugby at the moment because there's no New South Welshman involved. Um, but we'll we'll pile on, and we might grab Cavill later. He'll might make it a special appearance in the show later. But we're going to pile forward and look at these results from this weekend. And first and foremost, uh, we saw the Blues get up over the Bulls uh, across there in Auckland on on Friday afternoon, and and this was followed by undoubtedly the match of the round. This is a game everyone was anticipating more than anything, up here at Suncorp Stadium. The Reds, down in the Rebels, 46-29. to 29, uh, While the Rebels you know, Rebels jumped out early, had the lead at half-time, 17-11, and I think we're all expecting the worst, but no-one expected what happened in that second half. Sully, did you? Uh, no, 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 no. I was shocked. I was dreading going to this game. I just thought, um, yes, we were no chance. I... I still, I'm still dumbfounded. I can't give you a reason. No. An amazing performance. What was it like on the the game there at, at, at game day? That that turnaround. Was there anything that you saw? Any turning point? What do you think triggered it? I I think um, about 47 minutes in, there was a rebel scrum about 10 meters out from their line, and the red scrum just absolutely shunted them. And that seemed to flick some switch somewhere, and all of a sudden there was some self-belief in the team, and they just ran amok from there on. Mate, could you talk? Let's go back to pre-game. I don't know how much of that you saw. Was there any? Uh, what was the? Uh, what was the? Uh, I guess uh, feeling on the ground. Could you see what was Connolly doing? Was he actively involved? What was Graham doing? How did that relationship work during the warm-up? I. I. Actually got to the ground about seven, and then um, Scoey, who was borrowing my camera gear, arrived at about seven thirty-nine. <laughs> <laughs> so I literally ran into the field, handed him my camera, uh, ran into the the media box, and started typing. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so I missed the whole pre-game thing. I didn't see who talked to who or how they looked on it or anything, which I usually see every game, and I didn't see anything this week, Well, the rumours are there was a bit of uh, a paint peeling um, by uh, by Knuckles, some uh, fairly old-school uh, motivation, which is good to hear. Steve, what's uh, what was your impression from this game? Uh, gee, a, week, a week's a long time in rugby, isn't it? Because after that early start from the Rebels, um, particularly for that try to Stefan Ivali, like, you, you could have imagined, oh, oh here we go again, but... Um, at 17-11 at half-time, you'd think, who knows what he... But whatever was said at half-time, I'd like to know who said it this week because compared mm. to last week, that uh, that first 10 minutes of the second half was the Reds just came out and just blitzed the the Rebels and um, they put away those stupid kicks. At, uh, two, the, two of the worst kicks, I think, was the Karevi Grubber, which led to Naivali's first try, and then the uh, Genia box kick, which was allowed to bounce, and the one they checked with the TMO for the possible knock-on, so they, they sort of shelved that. Like, Genia still has a bit of that, but once they got rid of that in the second half, they just piled on the points. I think it was 35 points in the second half, so yep. that was, uh, it was like, who is this team and these imposters? Like, what's happened? And um, I, I don't know, is, is Connolly, 
he's looking good one from one, so I don't know what that means for the future of the Reds, though. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get to that soon, but it was a remarkable performance and, and very... Um, I mean, it harked back to the glory days, didn't it, of 2-11, 2-12, and what, where, we, where we put teams to the sword and, and um, scored fantastic tries, but backed it up, back on, back on, back. Naivali looked fantastic that second half, that, that first, sorry, that first half, that first try in particular um, should be one of the tries of the season, the length of the field effort uh, from that Rebels team. And, 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 you know, he expected the worst, and when Naivali went over again soon later, it was really hard to see what the Reds how the Reds could turn things around. But uh, they managed to. And, and uh, Sully, what would you make of the debutant in, in uh, young Jack McIntyre? Yeah, I'm, I'm liking Jake. He's, he was good to have a 5'8 on the field. Yep. But, um, yeah, no, he did well. Uh, young Sam Green got a few touches. Yep. He, I, I saw pictures of him, and he looks like he's 12. <laughs> but, but uh, no, full of enthusiasm, just loves playing the guy. And I know my uh, Jillian's talked to him a few times on the sideline in the NRC and just loves playing rugby. Yeah. So The interesting thing, um, he, just, he just knew the lines to run, didn't evident in that try that he yeah. scored off the inside ball from Carmichael Hunt. You know, they're just natural fly-half lines that you, know, you can't, you can forgive Frisbee for not knowing. Um, he, he flattened up the line a lot better. Yeah. Than we've seen in recent weeks as well. Yeah. But just we need not to get too carried away with the Reds because they basically played half an hour of football because they 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 the last ten minutes wasn't great and the first half was you know okay, so they won that game playing for half an hour. Yeah. Thanks. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good reality check there and and probably a reality check for the Rebels who have been on a high uh, for the season and. Um, uh, and obviously uh, we're looking to, you know, how back their chances to, to continue their climb up the ladder, and they've now head across to South Africa for what will be uh, a very tough tour for them. Um, but that's it. It was great performance, and it's now upon the Reds to back that up for uh, the next weekend. Uh, next game, Hurricanes down the Chiefs, 22-18, uh, to 18, which was a, a fantastic game of footy. Uh, before we head to Saturday night, where the Waratahs defeated the Sharks 33 to 18, in what was uh, a tough game to watch. I mean, I don't think uh, the Waratahs were on top of their games. I think the Sharks were playing, uh, uh, slowing the game down a bit, and there are some absolute howlers from the refereeing perspective. Uh, it was 13-6 at halftime, and the Waratahs managed to run away with it uh, with that last-minute try by Bernard Foley as well. Steve, what was your reading of this match? It's a real, real tough game to watch, like you mentioned. And, um, I don't know, the, the Waratahs just seemed to not be at that level that they were this time last year. And I, I think it might be that they've had that second bye very early. So they've got mm. a, in a stretch of 10, uh, 10 games in a row, which I don't know if that's affecting them at all. But that was a really tough game to watch. I know, you know they scored in the first minute. Yeah, um, that's right. And you thought, oh, hang on, this you know, they're going to put the, the Sharks away here. But, you know, the Sharks haven't been travelling too well this year themselves. But um, it was just a really disjointed game from the Waratahs. There were a lot of, uh, I don't know, just things that weren't that were happening that probably shouldn't have. And, you know, Checo probably not overly impressed with the game overall. Like, like 33-18 looks great. But it was uh, a lot closer than the final score suggested. And, and like you said, the Sharks were... Um, Unlucky in some areas. I'm not saying that the, they should have won the game, but some of those refereeing calls that happened during the game uh, probably affected them, and they probably played uh, against the referee more than with him, if you know what I mean. Um, they just thought they were playing against 16, yeah, and that just didn't help them in the end. Well, using the Sully rule there, mate, you've got a first-minute try and a last-minute try. You take out those 14 points, and the score was, what, 19-18 to 18 for the rest of the game with uh, a bit of controversy there as well. Uh, Sully, how do you view this game? I don't think the Sharks are a bad team. They're just unlucky. You know, they, they've lost a lot of games by not very much points from memory. I hope I've got that right. But, yeah, it was hard to watch. Mm. And... You sort of hope the Brumbies get into the final. I thought I hope the Brumbies get into the final against the Waratahs because I don't think the Waratahs can go all the way this year. Yeah, they definitely don't look the same unit as uh, they have previously. 
I'm not convinced the Brumbies are. The Brumbies looked a lot stronger early in the season. But, yeah, the, the Waratahs, they don't quite look up to it. And I know there's a few calls on the forum from, um, and not just from me anymore, that uh, perhaps Chica should be looking to step down from the tar- Waratahs sooner rather than later. It won't happen, but it's, it shows you that there's some uh, disgruntlement there that uh, perhaps they're not getting the best out of the team. Yeah, I wonder, um, Chica was at Suncorp on Friday night. Really? So, yes. Wow. So uh, I wonder how much uh, involvement you have with the preparation of the team. You know, it's only a couple hour flight, yeah, really. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, did he get to the Friday run? Yeah, yeah. What happened Saturday, or did he go back Saturday, Friday night? I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. Mm. All right. Well, there's no Waratahs uh, on the show tonight, so we've got full ability to move on from that win to them. But uh, still, uh, a win's a win, and they they continue their climb up the ladder. Next game uh, was uh, late Saturday night, our time, and it was uh, Brumbies getting up over the lines, 30 points to 20. Steve, what was your uh, take on this one? It was another very close game. Um, the Brumbies have struggled over in South Africa with the, particularly the discipline side of things, and uh, this time Yako Paper had the had the whistle, and after, f- I think it was... Fifteen minutes. He loves the yeah, whistle. He certainly does, and uh, <laughs> I think the, the Brumbies did a better job of adjusting to the way he was interpreting the game. Uh, they had five penalties against in the first fifteen minutes, and two of them were converted, and one of them from about sixty metres out. So, particularly at Johannesburg, you can't give away easy penalties up there; otherwise, uh, you know, you go up in threes very quickly. But they just, they, you know, they got back into the game really well, and those three tries in I think it was about eight minutes. Um, some really uh, nice build-up play, particularly leading up to, I think, uh, the Kuradrani one and then yeah. Itavea, like, straight after. Yeah. Um, so you know, it was good to see them able to adjust on the on the go because, you know, last week's game, I think they considered 19 penalties and you're not going to win anything with that sort of uh, numbers against you. Um, they sort of... And in the Lions this year, they've... They've had a very strong second half. There's a lot, lot, lot of games where they've been behind and, and mowed them down, particularly last week's game with the Highlanders. I think they were down by about 15, maybe 20 points, and got up in got up in the end. So that wasn't enough to put the queue in the rack. Um, I was lucky they got that bonus point try towards the end as well um, to Joe Tamani. So and that was good to get the five point um, the win there. So you know, they got the, the bye this week, so it's getting very close in that. In terms of the Aussie conference ladder. Yeah, and Porter by too, obviously coming back from South Africa, but um, I think Matty Tamua uh, was injured again. Yeah, he only lasted 25 minutes, yeah. so it's, it's a long way to go for uh, 20 minutes, five minutes of game. Um, apparently, it's not the ankle he just had recently injured, it's the other one, so hopefully it's not too bad. It was just an unfortunate accident. I think Jesse Moggart fell into him. Got, I don't know if he was pushed or tripped or whatever, but he just got um, sort of came in from behind and got his ankle jammed and um, it looked, didn't look good at the time, but it was good to see that they could adjust that back line with Robbie Coleman coming in. Um, so he, you know, he's played in the back line. He's played most positions for the Brumbies over the years. So Mate, it's, he slots in seamlessly. So it's a really good bench that the Brumbies are, are building there uh, as they, you know, when you consider Butler, Smiler, um, Dargaville and the likes, it's uh, some good depth there. Hey, look, the, the other player I, I wanted to mention who's, who started to, get back in form is Jesse Mogg. Um, he's looking a real danger from the back there. Some beautiful lines and, and angles of his run, you know, he's off, unfortunately off at the end of the year, but uh, that bodes well for the Brumbies towards the end of the year. Yeah, I, I, I thought he would always play in Johannesburg because he's got that big boot and he had uh, yeah. one shot from about 65 metres and you know, the old bias SA commentary was like, he gave it a good nudge and he goes, oh, that's not going to make it. Well, actually, <laughs> it went about three metres to the left and ended up in the in goal area, so it's not like he it was short or anything. So, um, I know he takes a long range ones. He's not shooting at a good percentage, but I think it just gave the lines, you know, like, you know just you better calm down on your penalties as well because we've got a big uh, sharpshooter, or not a sharpshooter, but someone who can knock them down, yeah. Yeah, if you're not careful. So um, he shelved some of the kicking as well. I think the the play leading up to the, I think it was the Itavea try, I think, um, when Henry Spate got involved, um, looked like he was going to kick and didn't and passed Mm. to Henry Spate. So he's still getting that running game back into his game. Um, Obviously, I think looked a little bit, underdone with his confidence after coming back from his injury. So it's good to see heading towards a very crucial part of the season. 
So you, you think it was just confidence, Steve? That's I mean, he's 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 taken a long time to come back. Yeah, he had a shoulder operation at the end of oh, in the off season, so missed a lot of the NRC in a few games, and then um, came back through club rugby and got injured again. I think it was a, an AC joint or something. So uh, I think it was just just down to that mostly, just getting his confidence back from especially against some of those, those big South African um, defenders. And how long do you think? that uh, the Brummies can persist with uh, Christian Lee and Leofano uh, kicking for goal? Um, I think they'll still give him the, the run because he's kicking at about 74%. It's just unfortunate for him. The ones he's missing are, are, are crucial ones in the game. So the one in the Stormers that he missed, he'd kicked four from four to that point. Uh, he missed, did miss one sitter against the Lions. Uh, I think another one... Uh, from the Tamani try, hit the very top of the goalpost from the sideline. So it's yeah. I don't know if it's just a little tweak he needs to do to his technique or something, because um, last year was a bad year after coming off a good kicking season in 2013. So he's, he's almost back to that level, but just um, unfortunate for him, the ones he misses are just highlighted dramatically. Oh, I think we're all looking for him. I didn't realise he was kicking at 74%. That's... Probably the best kicker in Australia at the moment. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You just like you just in those big games. That's that's the unfortunate thing, I guess. All right. Well, that wraps up Brumbies lines. The last game of the round was the uh, Highlanders doing a number on the Cheetahs, forty-five to twenty-four over there in South Africa, and uh, Crusaders, Force, and Stormers all having the bye. So the table as it stands now, uh, it's interesting. You know, last week we were suggesting that. Um, the Aussie conference, the conference system was wrong because Australia, the Brumbies' numbers were down and they're in second spot, but they were actually in seventh position. But you look at them now; they're they're on 38 points. They're still in second spot. They're above the Bulls. Um, you know, the, the Chiefs and Highlanders, who are in fourth and fifth spot, are one point ahead of them. You know, from a points perspective. But you know, it's had how different it's going to change in one week. The whole perspective of it all. The Brumbies are are rightly um, second on the table, effectively, and and the the Hurricanes are just gapping everyone at the top there, and the Bulls riding at the top three. So Waratahs sticking into sixth place at the moment, uh, and uh, with only really the Stormers and I guess maybe Lions and Crusaders at a stretch uh, who will push them. So interesting table. We're getting to the end of the season, boys. Yeah, it's pretty close. Like you look at the way well, the Brumbies, like you said, they're second, but they could end up seventh after this round. So that's mm. how close it is around there. And there's some big games this week with uh, the Bulls playing the Chiefs. So that's three versus four. Yeah. Uh, the Highlanders are on the fourth. So and the Waratahs are playing the Crusaders, who are ninth, but yeah. they're five points back. So yeah. you know, who knows what can happen? Think stuff. All right, guys, we're going to get on to our burning questions, and we've got three burning questions this week. Uh, so uh, let's start with you, Sully, this one. Does the Reds win help or hinder Richard Graham's hope of a reappointment? Oh, he should never be a hope for reappointment anyway, should he? But He just won us a game, mate. Best go of the season. <laughs> if John Connolly came in and fixed something in, what was it, six days? Yep. Then... It must have been something simple, and why couldn't Richard Graham see that? So I would say it hinders his reappointment. All right, interesting. Uh, Steve? I think it does hinder, like Tully says. If, if Connolly can fix it at a snap of a finger, um, what was what was what what could he see that Graham couldn't? Um, and also, I don't know if the appointment of Connolly was brought forward after what happened in Christchurch last week. So... Mm. I don't know if it was rushed or they had it in the background and just waiting for the right time or whatever, but I, I don't think it's helped him because it, you know, Connolly looks great now, one from one, and like you said, he was um, peeling paint in the in the pre-game. Yep. All right. Uh, what do we make of Nara Avoro, guys? Is he uh, off? He's he signed with one of the clubs in Scotland now, um, off for three years. Is he a money chasing mercenary? Or is this his best op option for rugby development? Uh, let's go to you, Steve. I think 
it's going to be maybe money chasing type of thing, but I'm not sure what's going on with the Waratahs because they lose, they've lost a lot of wingers over the. It's incredible, last isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I think uh, it was Braveheart who mentioned had a list of the players they've lost, and there's some good players in there. Um, you know, Drew Mitchell's gone. Uh, lost Tom Kingston, a loafer, a loafer, Cam Crawford. So I'm not quite sure. Is it something that's not happening at the, with the Waratahs, and they just want to go off, offshore? I don't know, but it's it's an interesting situation where first it was Edinburgh, then it wasn't, and now it's Glasgow. So I don't know if he's, he's like flipping coins to see which part of Scotland he wants to go and see. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough coin toss. Um, Sully, what about you, mate? Uh, I just think he's doing the best thing for himself and his family. He's, he's sure he's gone for money. He's obviously gone for money, but um, good, luck, good luck to him. But, uh, yeah, as for the Waratahs and the, and the wingers, well, maybe they... Just think, wingers are easy to chain, and they're not worth that much money. That's what I've always thought, anyway. <laughs> Good man. Um, all right, well, and we touched on before the Waratahs' performance. Is it time to do or the, the refereeing the Waratahs game? Is it time to do away with the TMO and just back the referees? It's a it's an argument often proposed. Get rid of the technology, uh, Sully. It's a tough question, mate. Eh? Um, I think originally the TMO was there for the howler, you know, something that was obviously really bad. And um, are we getting are we getting that, or are we just you know, having the TMO interfere with stuff that doesn't really need to be interfered with? Um, going back for foul play that's not there, um, missing an obvious lock on, knock on in the Reds game. Well, it was not obvious to me anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there's no going back. I think we need to have the TMO there. We just need to be careful about what the TMO can do and can't do. Yep, fair call. And what about you, Steve? Uh, I think the technology should be there, but maybe just the referee use it himself. Um, you know, he's he's just asking the TMO, who's then asking the TV director to run the tape back. So why don't you just ask him himself and make it a call? Uh, particularly with every stadium now having reasonable TV screens, they can see it. So um, just leave it to the ref and then get on with it. I think um, another another thing is a lot of times the TMO uh, is not uh, as experienced as the ref refing the game. So, yeah, I think Steve's right. Maybe just let the ref see the replays. Um, Sully, Sully, you're breaking the rules of the five burning questions at the moment. You've had your say. Time <laughs> up. Steve's turn. We can't go back. It's not a. It's not a rebuttal situation here. All right. I wasn't rebuttaling. I was agreeing with him. <laughs> you, you're changing your mind. Even worse. Look, you've had your say. Uh, Steve's had his say. We've got one more very important, who's important person who's dying to have his say. So let's hear that now. All right, joining us now, as we said, uh, is our man on the street, we've got to call him, Hugh Cavill. Uh, Mate, you've got something to say. Oh, Reg, haven't I got something to say? I mean, considering I wasn't uh, picked for the starting line this week, I'm going to come in off the bench and I'll give you an impact. I'm going to impact a few minutes here with three points that I picked up from the weekend. Let's start with the Queensland Reds. Boys, huddle in. You played well. You beat the Northern Rebels, which plenty of teams haven't done this year. But where was that all season? I mean, geez, you can blame Woody Graham all you like, but at the end of the day, you were the blokes that were putting the effort out on the field, and it was fantastic. I mean, I loved watching it. James O'Connor, Carmichael Hunt, Rob Simmons, James Slipper, all these blokes really pitched in. Greg Holmes, get that bloke in a wall of his jersey. But guys, it's not going to help your fan base if you can pull this out at the end of the season. Where was it for the preceding 10 rounds? Geez, I mean, it's good signs for next year if you can produce it every game, but, I mean, producing it once just isn't enough. Got to come out this week, got to come out next week, and you've got to beat the task to finish the season as much as I hate saying that. You're not going to do it, but I'd like to see you try. Second up, let's go big to Kelly, Naya, and Voro. Now, to Kelly, mate, you want to play for the Wallabies, and that's great. You want to play for the Wallabies. But really, I don't think your heart's in it, mate. You've been shopping yourself all over the Northern Hemisphere. First Edinburgh, now Glasgow. You've signed contracts galore, it seems, and now you want to be picked for the Wallabies in hope that you might be able to stay and keep a contract. Well, mate, I'm sorry. It's just not enough. I don't believe you got the pride in the jersey. I respect you for putting your family first and putting food on the table. But uh, 
and I love the way you play the game. But, uh, mate, if I was a Wallabies coach, mate, you wouldn't be getting near the team with the way you've been shopping yourself around up north. Finally, let's finish with the video refs. Vinnie Munro, George A.U., uh, I'm glad you've been dropped for this week, guys, because you can give yourself an uppercut for your performance last week. I tell you what, Ron Hoffman and Glenn Jackson cops some fuck, but you were the blokes who are the real Muppets here. I mean, you've had all the time in the world. You're sitting up in the booth. You've got multiple angles, and you've come up with two absolute clangers. And the Sharks and the Hurricane and the Chiefs can feel rightly dudded because you blokes, you've got all the time in the world up there, and you couldn't do your jobs. So have a week off. Think about it. Come back next week and learn to do your jobs properly. So that's me for the week, Reg. Uh, let you guys get back to it. Uh, and uh, I hope to be right to the starting lineup again next week. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks, everyone. That's another episode of Hugh's Better, Hugh's Best. We'll catch you next time, mate. Yeah, right there, right there. All right, there you go. There's Hugh Cavill joining us as a special guest. Uh, Obviously, uh, couldn't make it for the whole show, but was determined to get his voice on the podcast in some capacity. Um, these Sydney folk, they just, you know, they're so pushy about their uh, influence on the game in this country. But uh, that's that. We're going to move forward to have a look at this round of football coming up, round 15. And, and as Steve said earlier, it's a huge round of football, very significant games coming up, and none more so than uh, this first match of the round, which is the... Uh, the Chiefs versus the Bulls, so over at uh, Rotorua International Stadium. Uh, Chiefs taking on the Bulls. Chiefs are currently in fourth versus the Bulls in third position. Uh, Steve, quick thoughts and a tip? Uh, I think the Chiefs might get this. I thought they'd struggle last week against the Hurricanes, particularly with those late, late uh, pullouts yep. yeah, of Sonny Bill and James Lowe. Uh, and they went very close to winning and probably should have. So I, I think they'll be looking to bounce back this week against the Bulls, who are... On tour in uh, the nice-smelling Rotorua. Yeah, exactly. I'll be loving it. What about you, uh, Sully? Yeah, I've got to go with the Chiefs. I like the way the Chiefs play, so I'm a bit biased. I prefer them to the Bulls, so, yeah, Chiefs. Yep, yeah, I agree. Chiefs up. The Bulls went down to the Blues, so I think the Chiefs will uh, give them more pain this week. Uh, Reds versus Sharks up here at Suncorp. Sully, uh, two games in a row. That's a dynasty, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I've got to go to the Reds. The Sharks, uh, uh, yeah, the Sharks have had the rough end of the stick, haven't they? And referee Angus Gardner. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Reds. Reds. Let's <laughs> confirm it, local referee. Uh, <laughs> Steve, what's your thoughts? Can we do it? Can we back up? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, we saw enough last week to assume that they can put two together, and um, a lot of confidence there for young Jake McIntyre as well. I'm assuming he'll probably get named again. Um, yeah, there's some talk Quaid may be back, but more likely he'll be coming back the following yeah, week. tough to drop him, particularly after his display last week, yeah. so Reds by uh, six. Yeah, there'll be an interesting one. I think at the moment, looking at the points against on the table, the Cheetahs are the worst with 362, but uh, the Sharks are second worst with 354, and the Reds are next with 348. So you'd expect some points scored this weekend, and I shall tip the Reds as well. Uh, maybe one of those uh, 45 to 38 type games, hey? Um, Saturday... <laughs> points all round. <laughs> exactly right. Saturday afternoon uh, at Eden Park, the Blues are taking on the Hurricanes. So forget the, blue, the fact the Blues are sitting in 13 and the Hurricanes are at first. These New Zealand derbies, who knows? Steve? Hurricanes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sully knows. Hurricanes, mate. Yeah, Hurricanes by plenty. Blues have got far too many injuries to uh, keep their team together. Um, so, And this could be the end of Sir John Kerwin's coaching tenure if they can sort it out over there. So Hurricanes by 15. Who's Auckland Rugby's John Connolly? Who should they be bringing back in? Is it Sir Graham Henry or someone like that just to oversee him and... And uh, take over the role. We'll have to get some insight from some of those New Zealand guys, I guess. Well, they already tried that a few years ago. They did, and, didn't they? Yeah. And it didn't work out so well. Um, you know, the grand plan was to bring a guy up from the Crusaders, and he doesn't want a bar of it. So, like Matson, yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe they'll just have to put an ad in the paper, and you know, some club guys will apply. I don't know. It's it's getting farcical though. Something stinks. There's there, some interesting it? politics going on there too, by the sounds of it. So I mean, yeah, the, uh, the makes Auckland... the Reds look awesome. Yeah, the Auckland Rugby want to get rid of him, but the private backers are saying, no, no, he's staying. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Um, all right, next game is the Waratahs versus Crusaders on Saturday evening at an ANZ Stadium. 
Sully, what do you reckon? Grand final rematch. Yeah, and Crusaders will have something to prove, won't they? Um, they had the bye last weekend, didn't they? Yes, they did. Okay, so their last game is against the Reds. Oh, right. <laughs> You're only as good as your last game. Yeah, um, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, can I pick a draw? Yep, absolutely. No, I'm not going to pick a draw. I'm going to go the Aussie team, go the Waratahs. Steve, there what do you go. think, mate? Uh, in, from a Brumbies perspective, purely <laughs> selfish, uh, it's going to be the Crusaders by a point. <laughs> but I am looking forward to the big clash of uh, Nadolo up against Naya Voro. That'll be uh, a very big game. Uh, hopefully they can get the ball in each in the hands of respective guys and see what they can do against an, another big unit. And uh, Will they oppose each other? Uh, yeah, Nadolo's a left winger and yeah. Naya Voro's right, so uh, that'll be, be big. Yeah, okay. Just on Nyavaro, uh, there's a quote in the paper today, uh, I think the Sydney Morning Herald, saying that Nyavaro might be, not be gone yet. And it was uh, Michael Checker saying it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the, where is he going? Glasgow is saying Glasgow. he is. So, yeah. Who cares? Coaches at uh, 50 paces, eh? <laughs> um, all right. Oh, gosh, what about Crusaders? i got a feeling the Crusaders might get up over this. I. I, uh, I just got a feeling that they're uh, on the way up and they'll take that grand final loss pretty personally, whereas, uh, again, I'm not quite convinced the Waratah's headspace is where it needs to be. Uh, Force are back on the uh, itinerary this weekend and they host the Highlanders on Saturday evening. Uh, Highlanders sitting in fifth space, the Force way down the bottom. Sully, uh, is this as apparent as the Hurricanes' victory? Will this be <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, um, well, maybe. I mean, we're, we're the only we're the only team beating them, so we need them to lose, so we stay in front of them. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, sorry, no, but the Highlanders are, are going way too well, I think, for the Force. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I think the Highlanders last week's game for them against the Cheetahs, uh, they'll put on some pretty good tries, um, and third game on tour, they'll be looking to end it with a win, and I think the Force. You know, we had the bye, but they've just been too inconsistent this year and need to show a lot more to for for their fans to get excited. But Highlanders, yeah. How good are those two old men looking the centres? Which the ladders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic oh. stuff. So I'd, I'd back in the Highlanders there as well. Uh, then we've got, if anyone really cares, the Cheetahs and the Lions. Um, Lions sitting in eighth spot, still, uh, still something to play there. But at Bloemfontein there, Steve, any thoughts? Uh, I think the Lions will get that one. They've yeah. got a bit to play for. Uh, it would be good to see them in the playoffs, maybe. So um, they just start winning some games together, and this should be theirs to, for the taking. And what about you, uh, Sully? Yeah, mate, the Lions are the most un-African rugby team I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, I'm going the Lions because it looks good. I love watching them. Yep, they've got more to play for too, absolutely. I'll go mm. with them as well. And then finally, the Rebels' uh, first game on their South African tour playing the Stormers at Cape Town there. Uh, Stormers just sitting in seventh spot, so one spot off the the, uh, the top six there. So I'm guessing Stormers all round, everyone? No one backing the Rebels? Uh, the Rebels come, come back to earth with a big thud last week after they've been talked up for higher honours and they never won in South Africa so I don't can't really see that changing this time unfortunately for them. Sully? I'm going to go for the upset guys. I'm going to go for the Rebels. Nice work. I reckon I reckon they'll uh, yeah they've gone back to earth for the thud but they're a good team and uh, there'll be people saying the right things. Yep that's good mate that's yep. you got it on the podcast no one will care if you got it wrong but uh, if you got it right everyone will be talking about it mate well done <laughs> and that's that's round 15 wrapped up some look some quick news we'll just touch on let's talk about the sevens quickly um the aussie women how good were they to uh, win the sevens over there at twickenham over the weekend uh and i oh, look uh, such class across that team charlotte caslick and the likes but elliot green uh, just a fantastic athlete scored uh, a couple of remarkable tries, some speed, some uh, uh, with the just uh, fleet of foot and uh, just a delight to watch. So it's great to see the Aussie women uh, bounce back after uh, some uh, uh, disappointing performances recently. Um, the Aussie men went close too. They went down to USA in the final. Um, 
Fiji won the overall crown early in the day. Uh, Aussies beat them, I think, was it in the semi-final uh, yeah. there? Uh, before going down to the USA. Really interesting tournament. I mean, great for Australia to finish like that. A little bit too little too late, and you'd suggest maybe some of those top teams had switched off. But uh, also very interesting to see USA. I think that was their first Severs title as well. So uh, a really significant tournament. And, uh, yeah, that, that World Severs tournament is a, is a great competition, isn't it? Just so many little elements to uh, watch and enjoy. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, I don't watch a lot of sevens, but uh, that when the game against South Africa for the Fijian was was a great game, and um, that's about the only one I watched. But uh, on a on a um, side note, uh, if you want to follow some of the Australian sevens girls on Twitter or Instagram, they they're great on their feeds, and you get some interesting insights and some great photos. Yeah, good stuff, Tigers. Good point. Mm. Um, Look, the only other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, I guess, Rugby World Cup related. Manu Tomalagi has been, uh, well, to be included in the England Rugby World Cup squad, been fined, suspended, whatever, after assaulting a police officer in a late night brawl. So that's, you know, uh, being in our pool, that's uh, one less player we have to worry about from an English perspective. I'm sure they'll find someone else, whether that means uh, Big uh, Burgess is another shot or getting in the squad, we'll see. Uh, boys, anything else you wanted to chat about before we close up for the night? No, I think that's it from from me. No, I've talked more than I have all day. <laughs> Good stuff, Sully. That's why we love bringing you on. Look, we've got another uh, series of Rugby World Cup Legends podcasts next week. Thankfully, finally, we move into the forwards. It's been great having uh, our special guests in the back line, Far Jones, Liner, Herbert, Edgerton and Burke. What a fantastic combination. But now we get into the real stuff and uh, the forwards and I can't wait to uh, get stuck into our, our guest for next week. Uh, to Sully, thanks very much for coming back, mate. We look forward to having you back again soon, hey? Anytime, mate. Just let me know. And Steve, you too, mate. Uh, my regular co-host, co-host almost, mate. So much so you're here. Yeah, thanks. Oh, can I just give a big shout-out to uh, the line supporter who spammed me unendlessly with... Uh, well, hundred pictures of grievances from the Yako Piper uh, refereed Lions game. Thank you very much for that. Um, thanks, I needed that. It's always good to get feedback. Everyone, uh, enjoy the rugby this weekend, and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Yeah, right there, right there.